Hey everybody, welcome to another Deep End episode with myself, Rick Alexander, and my partner, Danielle McGinnis. Danielle, thanks for joining me. Yeah, excited. So we just got back from Switzerland, and while we were there, we toured Carl Jung's house. We looked at uh, the school that he founded that's right down the road from the house, and got like a lot of time to kind of reflect on Carl Jung's life and legacy and it was interesting in the tour because it was kind of a focus on his early work and like early life, which I thought was really cool because you don't hear a lot about that mm-hmm. um, from his more of his late work is obviously what's really like captivated the world. But I thought maybe today we would just have a conversation about one, what it was like to tour his house and just really use that as a catalyst to talk about his life and what his contribution has been to our lives too, I think. Uh, I mean, the reason that I want to have this conversation, obviously, you know, with my PhD program, like I'm studying this, taking this comparative mythology approach, but it's really deeply influenced by the work of like Joseph Campbell, who was really deeply influenced by Carl Jung um, and being in his library, which was like being immersed in the world's mythologies, which was so cool. Anyway, the thing that I think really brings me to Carl Jung's work, and I'd love to hear for you, but I really admire the progression of his life. Like he took this really empiricist approach, like really trying to study the transcendent and study the gods without trying to make metaphysical claims. And, you know, by the end of his life, who who are we just watching? Uh, Anderson Todd, who's a he described himself as a neo-Jungian. He was just saying like, you see this point toward the end of Jung's life where after he has this death encounter where he's like full-blown mystic, you know? And Mm -hmm. then there's an interview where someone's asking him, do you believe in God? Because everybody wants to know that about him, I think, because he writes so much about about the, the transcendent. And he says, I don't believe I know, you know? And so, I don't know. I just admire his, his like, exploration into what can be especially from him coming from a hard protestant background like it can be so difficult to get the courage to go explore what you actually think about the divine you know and so he just really blazed a trail like for a lot of people i think yeah i think for me we were kind of talking about this when we were like leaving the tour about like there was something so inspirational about just being in that environment for me personally because they were talking about his work in the Berkholsley um hospital so he's working with a lot of psychiatric inpatient um people with schizophrenia yes particularly schizophrenia yeah and you know there was so much that he was taking in there but like really being burnt out by the way that was moving and it's just really fascinating to me to see somebody that was like actually I'm 
I see something here that's not really fostered in this community and I'm going to go try to explore that Mm. and surround myself with people who are also trying to figure that out. And for me personally, there's something so inspirational about having the courage to go and you said trailblazer, but kind of just like ask questions and like do your own thing. And, you know, he suffered immensely in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, when I, I think it was, you know, before he had the split with Freud, I think there was kind of like this, he felt accepted in the community because of his associations. But then when the f- split f- with Freud happened, it's like, you know, just being called all kinds of things and being separated f- from the people that Freud was associated with. And, you know, I just, that feeling sucks. Mm. You know, and to to go about follow those notions from the soul and just be willing to be the fool, be willing to be called insane, to be called a heretic, to be called all kinds of things, I just think is that's one of the things that I think inspires me most about young and mm-hmm. young's life. Um, another thing too is this really um guess you would call it this push back towards the feminine or acceptance or inclusivity of the feminine Mm -hmm. um you know so many of the people in Jung's life that helped him with really major concepts were feminine Mm -hmm. or were females sorry um but I think that he really saw how he was lacking in some of those areas interested but you know didn't have the same perspectives as some of the women that were surrounding him mm-hmm. and so i think that really helped him cultivate a sense of inclusivity of the feminine in his work and i think that's quite evident and to see the work progress right his work and his writings when he was in the time with freud and that like kind of scientific empirical writing and then just to see the work evolve over time is interesting yeah yeah totally and and yeah you do get this sense about him that he's like i'm looking for something and i'm going to listen to anybody that i think has the answers and that's what like kind of sent him into the world's mythologies really is like trying to figure out something you know that he was like looking for that was lacking in this western medical model so okay so right when we get to the house the house is huge by the way like it's an absolute mansion like on the water lake zurich is it yeah um so that was really cool and then when you walk through the door there's like this latin inscription above the door and that was there like his whole life right like that's been on the house Mm -hmm. and basically it says call they're not called the gods will be there Mm -hmm. what do you make of that called or not called the gods will be there oh well i think that is just like the fundamental statement about what analytical psychology is all about to its fundamental roots um for me i feel like hillman james hillman really opened up that principle for me about what that truly means Mm -hmm. but i feel like that is the archetypal movement of psyche itself which Mm -hmm. i think young really opening up the archetypal you know pulling on different principles from those philosophers and people before him but like you know really moving with the archetype 
And I think that Hillman took his archetypal work and pulled that forward and allowed me to see like, oh, there's a spontaneous movement of the gods within. So Mm -hmm. whether we want it to be there or we don't want it to be there, it's there. Mm -hmm. And that's what it means for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we we were just talking, for some reason, both of our classes at the same time had us reading Euripides. Uh, and Euripides oh, yeah. is a playwright from the early Greco-Roman world and, well, just Greece, I guess, like 300 BC area. Is that right? Three, 400 BC, yeah. 400 BC, I think. Long time ago, 2,500 years ago. Um, anyway, he wrote, uh, one of the plays he wrote was called The Bacchae, which is about Dionysus. And Dionysus is the god of ecstasy and wine and women. And, and there's something that plays out in the Bacchae that, like, really shows it i'll probably do an episode on my podcast about it at some point but anyway it shows the progression of what happens when the god isn't honored essentially and and Mm -hmm. the person who doesn't honor the god ends up a kind of caricature of what he rejects like the idea being that we like kind of become a slave to what we reject and yeah so that's what i i was thinking of it's like called or not called honored not honored respected or not like you know, I think it's is it Hillman that talks about the idea that the the soul only moves within archetype. Mm. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. I thought you told me, so maybe I made that <laughs> up. <laughs> but in any case, this idea that there there are these sort of I don't know that reality lays itself out in somewhat of a patterned manner, and that and that these these archetypes, these gods, you know, and and I really like the idea of thinking about the gods personally. I was like. Per- perfected archetypes um yeah perfected in a way that's not human right like there's even if the god is a god of like torture and dismemberment it's perfect in that sense right right okay so that's what i was gonna say is when we were going over in class i remember people had the why question like why is this happening it feels like he's um you know they don't deserve this and it's like but why is not the right question the right question is what, because you're going what to live that story out yeah. if you don't ask the what question. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. So I thought that was interesting. So that was cool. That was like the inscription um, as you walk through the door. And then the first room that we went into, they hung a lot of his like early work, but like not early, like also childhood. You know, they, they hung a lot of some of the painters that... that um, were influential on him and then also some of his like as a kid drawings and I thought that was even interesting seeing like the you know he he had drawings of like people fighting dragons which of course becomes a huge part of his own ideas about mythology and the mother bound masculine and then also too there's he had this one drawing I was asking if you'd seen it but like he drew a guy a really big guy with a little head and then a really um and then another guy with a really big body and a or big body, tiny head, and then small body, huge head. They were really <laughs> funny drawings by like a seven year old. But I was also thinking of like, you know, in Young's work is this real desire to reconcile the opposites within himself. Like that becomes a huge staple of of his own path. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that was really interesting thinking about the the paradox between embodiment and intellect and trying to reconcile those opposites and just seeing it in his really early (laughs) drawings yeah it's you know it's it's interesting to contemplate on like if you look at his early drawings as a kid right 
and and even reading like memories dreams and reflections gives you a pretty good picture into like what his early years were like Hmm. um but it's just interesting to think about like his destiny right like what he incarnated in this world to be and as a kid holding all of that possibility potential Mm. creativity and it's like you know uh, something that i really thought was interesting is to see how artistic this person was like he was incredibly artistic yeah and so talented as a painter and like a a builder architect sculptor like so incredibly like artistic in the literal sense Mm -hmm. and it's like perhaps like that was the only not the only that was a way that could contain all of that energy that was like being pushed through him Mm -hmm. um well it's interesting too it was also an outlet because like in his when he so basically there he his dad is a reformed pastor and that was like really tough for him because he felt like his dad didn't well could you say what it was it was something like he felt like his dad just didn't really believe what he preached like in that he struggled really hard with that yeah i think it was something akin to like he would ask him questions and he would just kind of like breeze them off like it's that's just what yeah it's just like what what it is what we do the kind of rigid hearted senex kind of answer Mm -hmm. yeah and so anyway so then he so he's like okay i'm not going to go become a theologian so he decides to go to medical school his grandfather was a, a doctor as well um so he goes to medical school becomes a psychiatrist but like being in medical school you know that's so left brained right like when you're in medical school you're memorizing a and p like you're memorizing systems and ideas and stuff and and you have to recall it on tests and so i think he talks about in his letters to his at the time not wife but his his letters to emma who he later marries that like he can he can barely stand it and he'll at night just like sit with a painting mm-hmm. or something like he, he he says like i have to immerse myself in the ideas of like the higher mind like i can't my god i like <laughs> reflecting on my physical therapy school experience and just that f- feeling of like this isn't all that there is like mm. there's something more here and just not knowing what that something more is but feeling that nudge of like this is not complete there's not a completeness about this Mm. and i think that's what actually attracted me to jung's work is that that was the first time after physical therapy school where i was like oh there's something happening in this writing and this work that is tapping into those questions or those feelings that i was asking in physical therapy school which I think is interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, like the way that he had the kind of um, sense about him to immerse himself in art, you know, to even do something about it, I guess, is, is interesting to me too. Well, I think that that comes back. I want, kind of want to have a conversation about like being in Switzerland or being in Zurich and Kusnock and the areas that we were in. Like, Obviously, I don't know what it was like in the early 1900s, but for me, being there, there was something so beautiful about Mm. that place. Like, there was just 
beauty surrounding you almost everywhere, whether it's in architecture or the lake or the weather. Like there, it was just so beautiful to me. There was like details, not even in his house, but just in that surrounding area. And that's interesting to me that like, that's where he ended up to like be in that environment that cultivated a sense of beauty in this artistic sense of, of being in the world. And then that showed in his house, like mm. just the minute details of everything. Yeah. So he designed this house yeah, essentially like with sketches and like drew it up and his wife got left a lot of money. So they had a ton of money to like, which was great for him too, because he was able to like pursue his ideas and, and everything. But yeah, every detail. And and it was interesting, right? Because they made a point to talk about like what was around when he was there and then what they added because they put stuff on the walls and stuff so that for the tour, right? So you could mm-hmm. see it. Um, his grandson still lives in the house. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you go into one room and there's an alchemical stove that he built <laughs> with his hands, you know, and designed. Yeah, and, then, and if you look at like the symbols on him there's alchemical symbols there's astrological symbols it's just like there's so much detail in every single piece of everything in that house that i'm just like oh my gosh and there are details he's like wrestled over yeah right? like so, he went deep into alchemy yeah so i think that that's just like a really fascinating part is like this connection to beauty and the, and the function that beauty and art did serve in his life. I know that's a part of memories, dreams, and reflections, right? About like someone saying, calling him an artist and he like didn't see himself as an artist. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think part of that was to maintain his empiricism and like his it's thoughts credibility. as a scientist. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's something so incredibly artistic about just being there in Zurich, but then definitely at his house. But if you go back to like his writings, the way he writes is incredibly artistic as well. Hmm. Um, well, yeah. you know, beauty is really fascinating to me because for a long time in my life, like being around beauty gave me the sense that I was like locked out of it. Like I was exiled from it or something. And actually that's because I think now, as I understand it, like, you can only recognize beauty to the degree to which you're connected to your own soul because you wouldn't know it was beautiful if it wasn't a reflection of your own inner beauty. Like you just wouldn't know. How would you know? How do you measure what's beautiful? It's the soul that knows that. And so I just think how many people, you know, everybody knows like that there's some sort of redeeming, uh, what would be another word? Rapture. There's There's something in beauty that is like, that calls us forward, that calls us to, to greater, to betterment, to something, to the recognition of what we're doing here. But how many of us allow us ourselves to actually surround ourselves with that beauty? You know, that's what I was thinking about. Like he, he brings it into the philosophers are in his house. You know, mm-hmm. the painters are in his house. And I'm just like thinking about in our modern kind of life, I mean, I actually think the modern aesthetic is kind of beautiful, but I just wonder how many of us like actually allow ourselves to how many of us, how many of us actually honor that part of ourselves that that 
does recognize beauty and understand its worth. Yeah, it's just interesting to contemplate, you know, like his house was like, like I said, so beautiful in every single detail. And, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about like cleaning up your house and your environment. And like, I feel like there's something so incredibly deep in the nature of soul in that. And, you know, for me personally, like my whole life, I never thought of myself as a creative person. But if you've walked into any of the places that I've lived in, it's never been something that isn't a complete expression of where my soul is at at that moment. Mm. Right? The way that I decorate my house, the way that I dress, like it's always an expression of like where my soul's at. Mm. And I think it's really important to like nurture that and foster that because being able to visit that place and that space and just immerse yourself in somebody else's environment that they lived, breathed, worked in, like. I'm just so grateful for that experience because it felt like there was part of his essence in that space. Mm. Yeah, and so the library is where we went next in, in his library, but on his, he actually asked that it wouldn't be changed. And mm-hmm. if you see this library, I mean, we weren't able to take pictures from the inside, which I actually was going to do anyway, but then you made a point about it being sacred and then I couldn't allow myself to like <laughs> puncture the sacred vessel, so I didn't, but that library was everything for a nerd like me like i mean the world's myth i mean there was alchemical texts from the 15th century you know think about the way that alchemy is in our like pop culture and like it's everywhere and it's all those places because he read 15th century alchemical texts and like worked with their psychological significance you know so i saw like a a, i saw a leather bound version of the upanishads i was just like oh god i want to open that so badly (laughs) Um, but that library was incredible yeah there was something because there was a library and then there was um like a room study yeah like a study room off the library where he worked on the red book and where he would work with patients sometimes and again just being in that space where a hundred years ago like incredible things were taking place like it was very emotionally moving for me like for me like you talked about the alchemy text but like when I saw that section of the library like I again had this feeling of gratitude that someone had the courage to like explore this and make sense of this because there's something in that work that really pulls me at the current moment and it kind of makes me feel a little bit nuts Mm. because it's fucking weird Mm. and I just felt this immense gratitude for that exploration for him to like really build some roots in this I want to say modern culture it was a hundred years ago I mean that is a long time but it's not really a long time at all yeah well he's kind of at the like the cusp of modernity you know and you can see that because he so he built he hand built a tower which is was like miles from his house that we didn't end up going to see but him and two other guys literally built this like philosopher's wizard tower with his hands and he purposely didn't have power to it it didn't have running water it didn't have anything 
and my one of my professors made the point that like he he really didn't he felt comfortable in the old world like he didn't feel comfortable as comfortable with this like shift into modernity because he felt like there were like losing soul in that trans in that transition and so a lot of his life he like retreated and he's very introverted so he like retreated to this tower that he built so that he could kind of be in solitude you know there's something old world just about that yeah, it's really interesting you talked about opposites earlier. I just think that that tower is a space of the opposite, right? Like this huge home with just incredible... I mean, I wouldn't call it lavish, but like there was a little bit of like lavish element. I, I just call it beautiful. Like, there- But I think like they, you know, they would have people over and entertain and like his colleagues would come over and, and drink and smoke and stuff. Like I think there was a, not like... I think it was like Gatsby, but I think there was a sort of, um, I don't want to say like bourgeoisie, but there was some kind of, uh, they're all doctors, like they all make good money, I don't know. Yeah, I just think like the way that it was designed, it was just like, you know, very, very felt upper class, you know, and to have the opposite of the tower where neither were better than the other, it was just part of the opposite Mm. right um i think that that was really cool i guess to like recognize that like we all kind of have that in us right we're never just one thing and to see that represented was cool yeah yeah it was cool and there's a point in the sword in the stone where merlin is coming to take care of arthur and he makes the point of like where he's going to live in the castle and he's like well i gotta live in the tower (laughs) like philosophers have to live in the tower and there's something interesting about that when you just think about the the you know the way that the the external world it's the same thing with making your room beautiful the way it sort of has an effect on your internal psychic space the idea of like being high and having perspective and, and allowing that to kind of influence the way that you're thinking about these theories because there is this idea in his work that like and this is true with every every kind of maverick of industry or revolutionary or whatever they have to get above the current paradigm of thought to be able to see a a a broader truth or something else it's true well also i think like with the tower you know like if you look at his house from the front there is that kind of like circular tower aspect yeah um, and I think that's where the stairs kind of like round up mm-hmm. to go up to the different levels. But like that circular element, I think is really important in Jung's work and the work of wholeness and individuation in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the house from the back, the house kind of looks like a square house, but like from the front, it absolutely doesn't. But from the inside, like it is anything but just square. Like there's not like, rough defined edges everything just kind of flowed so Mm. how i noticed it it was just like there was like soft edges and the rooms flowed so nicely together and i i I don't know there was just something so intimate about the way it was set up that like his office like it didn't look like a square office it there's just like so much texture and image and Mm. art that like everything just flowed so it was never just that like left hemispheric 
boxing of things. Right, right. You know, like I never got that feeling from the inside at all, which is really interesting. Well, yeah, that and that's interesting about his role too, right? He was deeply influenced by the romantics and a lot of ideas that come up in Carl Jung's work are taken from almost directly from like German idealism and German romanticism. And in that, what you see in romanticism is a reaction to the left brain enlightenment, right? There's a trying, there's like a desire to take, take the center of the world back from the intellect and move it into the heart. And that doesn't mean the intellect goes away. It means mm-hmm. that the, well, like to use the words that you're studying, right? It means the emissary serves the master, right? Mm-hmm. The mind is a, what do they say? The mind is a terrible, is a great servant, but a terrible master, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you go into his library and everything is coded. Everything is like, you know, that's the same thing with his theories. It's like, they, they're not, they don't, they don't just dispense with enlightenment. They don't dispense with the intellect, but they're not centered there. They under, he understands that the intellect has to serve something bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like that was apparent in his house, you know? Yeah. Because there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of classification things that we get from him that we don't, I mean, how many people use the words introvert and extrovert now? Like it's commonplace, right? And that is a classification that came from him directly. Mm-hmm. You know, but all of those classifications essentially came from his pursuit of the transcendent of something bigger. Yeah, I think this this trip for me like really opened up something about you know something that really I guess bothers me. I say this as an early scholar of young, <laughs> like I don't want to sound like uppity about it but something that really bothers me is the picking and choosing of the versions of Carl Jung that fits your psychology Mm. for convenience um there's some of that that really bothers me a lot of like this exploitation of his ideas or his concepts without a deeper study or a deeper at least questioning of like what like what is the context of this that feels to me like kind of what I told you about the pictures it feels like it's taking all of the sacred aspect out of the essence of this person Mm. and using it for personal like gain and I hate that so much Mm. like after being there I'm like oh my god like there I keep coming back to gratitude but there's just so much gratitude for the way this person was able to to formulate these things, to wrestle with these things, to engage with these things in a creative manner, um, surround himself with people, respect the people that he was surrounding himself with, like, um, and just an awareness of like this isn't a psychology that you just pick and choose what you like and what suits your ego mm-hmm. for convenience. You know, like there was something, seeing his house, I was like, there is so much attention to detail. Mm -hmm. But yes, soul was infused in it. But there's Mm -hmm. so much attention to like how soul is represented in that house. that I'm like, that was inspiring to me to like really do my due diligence to like make sure that like if I'm like saying something, quoting Young, quoting a Neo Young, and quoting Hellman, like 
like not to just do it because it's convenient for where I'm at like to really like wrestle and ask questions and engage and dialogue and be with because that's what I got from being there is like this just essence of like true engagement with soul with psyche yeah yeah the only thing I would add is like you know he's such a towering intellect that he's a projection screen for a lot of things and a lot of people you know and so I mean I think I think you've told me before that he made the point like I'm glad I'm young and not a young Ian you know, because people do like learn one thing and then make it dogma and then like this is that. Like I'm I'm definitely um guilty of that in my early work, like with the shadow and stuff, of like even now I'm getting deeper insights about what I think the shadow actually is. Um and just in defense of <laughs> people that simplify his work, like I'm just thinking of how many mornings I've sat over the red book and read it and been like, What in the hell? do I make of that you know like what is that Uh, and I think you know part of if you if you to get into really any of the romantics but to get into work like that you you kind of have to sit with that not knowing actually that's kind of the route in it's like holding that tension of of really not knowing what it is but also it touches something in you you know some kind of something true in it touches something true in you and like you kind of have to be content with that for a while I think yeah I think coming back to like kind of what led me down this path is like bumping up against these readings where it was like it was touching something in me that I was like oh like I'm not completely nuts I'm not completely crazy for thinking that there's something else or there's something more hmm you know and I think I don't know I'm just sitting like there there is a lot of like numinous energy around his name his presence his work and honestly at this point I'm just sitting in kind of reverence for that yeah I mean that you know that's what I felt like I felt afterward like what a full life that this human being has lived that's what it felt to me and it, you know, it was something really interesting to me too to see the different types of people that were on the tour with us. Mm. You know, there were like probably seven of us, yeah. right? Something yeah. like that. And to like see these different walks of life come in and be inspired by his work, his life enough to be there and yeah. tour it. Like, I just found that really interesting as well because we were all very different. Um, from the outside right but finding a common thread in this interest of his life and his work um i don't know i just i find the experience to be very i don't know i don't have fully uh formed thoughts on it right but i i do i'm just incredibly grateful so then we moved from the library into the family room um and that was kind of the last thing that we saw in there and then like off of the family room is like a full-size statue of plato yeah, <laughs> in the sunroom in the sunroom i thought that was interesting um yeah. and you know the the thing is like plato there you would be surprised how many things like would track back to plato kind of like carl jung you know but like the german romanticism that carl that carl jung was really influenced by 
is essentially re reconstructing these truths that Plato had two thousand years ago. You know, so well, it's interesting to kind of see like the Platonic perspective of imagination and how that circles, mm-hmm. and then Aristotle and his perspective of imagination and kind of like Aristotle is kind of like the oldest empiricist, right? Totally. And to see these Platonic and Aristotelian, like how they've influenced those periods of time, like the Romantics and people in the Enlightenment and like to see how that's been pulled apart but then Jung kind of like brought them together. Yeah, because yeah, because with Aristotle, you almost have an Enlightenment thinker. You know, he's like very logic based, and then Plato's like damn near a mystic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he does. He he. That's a good point. He's like the perfect kind of bringing of those two together. Yeah, and I I found that to be. Yeah, just really interesting when we were in the library to just to see the vast collection of. Man, it was incredible like so many books like so many you could just give me a week to be in here and pull books off the shelf and read and think like um so and then the family room i thought was cool too and like he comes from a much more i don't want to say like proper time but kind of like there's prop like basically when he was in the family room he's like available for the family and like if he's in his study then he's not you know and i think that's there's Mm -hmm. something kind of old and patriarchal and proper about that or whatever Mm -hmm. but i did think that the family room was really fascinating to me like he sat like there was a there was a painting that looked like a renaissance painting Mm -hmm. you know of the virgin it was like mary joseph and and jesus and i don't know if there were some angels there but they were it was very like renaissance it was a very bright painting like you felt like enlightened standing in front of it for a minute (laughs) And I just thought so fascinating that he would read under that painting. Like there were some things that I just, that mm-hmm. I was like musing about while we were in there that I thought were really cool and also thought about like, oh, well, what do I read under? Like, it's really my family room? I don't, you know? It's really interesting to see the different elements there, right? So there's like, there was a piano, so there was music, and then there was a table, so yeah. there was nourishment and food, and then there was a hearth, so there was fire and that, like all these different gods there all the paintings and so there was all these different elements of the gods that like infused that like that was i Mm. mean if you look at it in a modern time it would have been like a dining room right because the table was in the center of it but like my god it was so big and the windows were so big and the fireplace was big and the paintings were big and like the piano was grand and it was just like (laughs) so incredible to see like i felt like that room to me was one of my favorite rooms because there was like it was family goals like if you're gonna be with your family Mm -hmm. like all of that numinous energy in that room was incredible yeah totally. and to keep that space sacred right like he would have lunch and dinners with the family and like that was his time Mm -hmm. to be with his family and it's like well that's cultivating a sacred space around that numinous energy like was that intentional i don't know you know but like there was so much it seemed like nothing was unintentional that yeah that was the feeling like everything was so conscious (laughs) purposeful yeah conscious though right i mean his whole mission and like his whole life was about making himself conscious you know if you read like i mean if you think about like 
Eric Neumann's work, The Origin and History of Consciousness, he talks about the idea of human progression being we have this conscious ego and we add to it. You know, it's like we add to our consciousness. Things that are unconscious become conscious and we become more because of that. But it seems to me like there's something about like if there is an invisibility of the soul, if there's something kind of unseen, unknown about the soul, Mm -hmm. like there was that in there too. Like Mm. there was this like kind of like, it wasn't all like bright and lavish and elegant, right? I'm just like thinking. It wasn't Trump Tower. You know, it wasn't everything like. Well, I'm just like thinking like when you walk in, you know, like the wooden staircase and different panel, like there was like a wooden element that kind of like brought everything down to earth. Mm. So it wasn't all this like numinous conscious energy. I think there was like, you know, when you go into a study, he only had stained glass windows and this tiny little lamp that would illuminate this place where he would work with the depths of the unconscious. And it's like that to me showed that there were parts of that house that were like not all conscious. It was mm. such yeah. an infusion of both. Like That's the, a good point. The sitting room to the left when you walked in the door, like there was kind of with the alchemical stove, like there was a darkness to that room a little bit but then when you walk into the family room everything's so lit and like open and like there was so much light in there so i think that there was some balancing and intention intentionality of like i don't know that balance yeah and like so his study where he wrote the red book was really dark like Mm -hmm. there was a he they still had i guess they still had because someone asked about it like a a flannel thing that he had put over the light so that this small like reading light wasn't bright Mm -hmm. you know um yeah there's some that's it that is interesting there's some symbolism there of the red book being his encounter with the unconscious you know because i don't see young as someone who's like i see in our modern kind of thought leaders this kind of like prioritization of consciousness but I don't get that in Young. I get the balancing of the two factors, and you could get that in his house too, right? Where like, I want to ask a question that like I don't know that there's an answer to or that I have, but like, is there is don't you do you go into the unconscious for the sake of consciousness? Isn't that why you confront the unconscious? Well, I think that what he was trying to do, it seemed to me like, was to shine a light of consciousness in the dark right right totally. right but like i don't think that that implies that the darkness is something that shouldn't be there oh or... yeah right okay i see what you're saying yeah like i think I th- he makes the point that you become a slave to what you reject and if you reject darkness you become a slave to that well i just it seems to me like this is what i was saying is like all of those kind of darker principles of philosophy the body the feminine nature like all these things that were like kind of pushed out of like religion and philosophy he's like shining a light on and mm-hmm. saying like no this this darkness matters it's important yeah and like there it, like there's a lot of like death and like death motifs in his work in coming into the confrontation with soul and i think that that there's like a darkness of of that process too 
Um, yeah, and so I want to actually say something about like his contribution to God images too, just since this will air on my podcast as well. Like there's this idea in Christian theology, and actually in, in Jewish theology and all of these different kind of religions called theodicy, which is the problem of evil, which is if God's completely good, then why does evil exist? And like, why am I going to suffer? Why do I have to die? All this stuff. And I think that what it seems to me that Carl Jung is trying to do is paint a picture of God as wholeness, God as totality, not just as what you think is good, right? Mm-hmm. And now I think that there's actually some sort of, there's a goodness about that that's good, that's like good as such. It's it's beyond what you think about as good. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, he was basically, I mean, he's deemed a heretic in a lot of different circles because he tries to shine an aspect on, as you're saying, this darkness that's that's very much part of the God image throughout the whole Old and New Testaments and um, shows up in all these different mythologies. Well, it's really interesting because like reading the Red Book, you really see that his courage to confront the evil within himself. And again, coming back to like that really bugs me of the picking and choosing of like his concepts because like these concepts don't just maybe they arise spontaneously but there was like a deep wrestling like a dark wrestling mm-hmm. that like i feel like we owe a lot to that grappling that wrestling all of the time and not just him like all of the people surrounded by him right like tony wolf his wife marie louise von france like a lot of those people too i think we owe a lot of credit to yeah and i think young tends to hold the primary projection but i think a lot of those women were very very helpful in grounding those dark elements that he was working with yeah and kind of expanding upon them you know i got a couple postcards from the little store shop that they had Mm -hmm. and there was like a picture of him out in his garden with like two different women Mm -hmm. so I I just think it's like you know it's important to recognize that there were people there with him like as he was like grappling with these really big ideas that not a lot of people had the courage to grapple with yeah yeah and like it's interesting because I'm I'm reading a lot of obviously the romantics now and there's this reconciliation of me and not me, you know, of that's what becoming whole is. And so you can see in his work, there's this, all of this turning toward not me, Mm. you know, whereas a lot of, I think a lot of people just naturally, our natural inclination is to reinforce our own sort of conscious objectives and our own biases and our own thoughts. And, and there's like a turning toward, the aspect of the world that's not me. And I actually think that's a really good definition of God. It's like God is everything that you don't understand. Um, and you can tell, like in Young's life, he was like, he embraced that. Like he, he engaged with that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a pretty wild experience. Yeah. I also think you could really say something about it being on the edge of the water. Yeah. Right? Because you've been having dreams where you're like standing on a water's edge lately. And, and there's something about, we don't have to go into that, but there's something about if water is representing that unconscious, you know, there's something about being up against that 
that being the place that you're developing your thoughts and that you're thinking and that you're living. Well, it's interesting too, like how for some people water, like for me personally, water feels so nourishing to the soul. And, you know, I, I, he, he obviously was, there were pictures of him like sailing and had his boat on the water. So it seems to me like water might have felt like home and Mm. to have the courage to go into the unconscious which is often symbolized by water in dreams and fantasies like i just think that's pretty synchronistic right to have like this comfortability of being within or around water Mm. that kind of flowing aspect of the unconscious that is quite unpredictable but it's quite beautiful too like i don't know there was something about that lake that i will probably remember forever it was the cleanest lake that i've ever seen (laughs) within a city which was wild um but there was just like the way the sunrise hit the lake and then the sunset hit the lake it's just like how could you not have profound insights (laughs) if you sat and just were with that for a little bit Right. You know, so I think that, that again, coming back to the environment of around that area, I just thought it was beautiful. Totally. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Um, that was kind of our tour of Carl Young's house and what we got from it, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>